Welcome everyone, my name is Peter Hackett. I am the Global Program Director for Cypher. In today's episode, we are going to discuss some cybersecurity tips from the Cypher Penetration Tester. Also with me today is my colleague, Scott Krosky, the Global Chief Information Security Officer for Cypher. And we are also pleased to have with us today the Chief Technology Officer for Cypher Portugal and Head of Cybersecurity Operations of our Portugal SOC, Sergio Alves. Sergio comes to us today from Coimbra, Portugal. Sergio, how are you today? Hey, Peter and Scott, I'm good. And thank you very much for having me in Cypher's podcast. And by the way, congratulations for its success. Thank you so much, Sergio. And we're excited to have you for this podcast today. Um, Sergio, as CTO and Head of Cybersecurity Operations for Portugal, can you discuss some of your roles and responsibilities? Sure, Pete. So uh, in, in simple terms, uh, my main responsibility is to ensure a healthy and quality delivery across all Cypher's service portfolio. Uh, I also have a secondary role that is to manage the red team services, um, especially the ones delivered from Portugal to the clients around the globe. And Sergio, um, some of our listeners may or may not know, but uh, Cypher has been in the business of cybersecurity for over 20 years. And as you well know, one of our core competencies is red team services, which you oversee the delivery of. Um, I know that our methodologies and processes bring a deep and broad industry ex expertise from over two decades of cybersecurity expertise to help companies mitigate risk while minimizing their investments to build a solid security posture. And as you've been keen to tell me in the past, we work as part of our customers' internal security teams and adjust our services to fit their needs. So with that said, can you discuss in general terms how a penetration test and ethical, ethical hacking service is delivered from start to finish? Sure, Pete. So, um... First of all, you're right. Indeed, our red team services are among the most mature ones as um, they are part of our specialized uh, core services. And of course, we do it since ever, basically. So regarding our specialized services, I think it's important to clarify that our red team mainly delivers two types of projects, application security ones and IT infrastructure security. So within these two types, we have two ways or let's say methodologies of executing the projects. One is focused on the vulnerability and risk assessment, and the other one on penetration testing. This is an important context to give, uh, as it is indeed the first step of a project, defining its objectives. Um, does the client want uh, to thoroughly assess the vulnerabilities and risk across its network, or does he want to simulate a real attack scenario? So this is uh, for, uh, foremost and, and, and first the most important question to, to answer. So this is usually done uh, in the pre-sales among with other tasks such as the definition of a scope. So I will try to briefly explain how we deliver a more traditional penetration test project uh, where a client wants to simulate a real attack scenario. Okay? So as I mentioned, we start with understanding what are the objectives of the client. Is it to simulate a real attacker that is positioned inside the network premises, or does he want to assess the possibilities of intrusion from an external threat? So this is discussed and defined along with the scope. Usually in a pen test, it's all, of, uh, all the constituency of the client. So all the digital infrastructure that is owned by, by him. Okay? So for the sake of, the, of this example and to keep it short, let's assume that this project's um, main objective is to simulate an insider threat. So any rogue adversary that somehow position himself inside the network, even if it's low privilege access, such as a guest would have. Typically, the, the, this is the, the type of scenario that we uh, work on. 
usually, um, and I say usually, only a small group of people inside the client knows about the testing. So that will allow us to, if necessary, exploit not only the digital systems, but also the people. Okay. Uh, I will not go into testing details, but it's important to mention that this is where the expertise and broad knowledge uh, about the workings of an IT's infrastructure is crucial, since it will make the big difference between an average and a good delivery. We also do our best to not get detected, avoiding security detection and prevention systems that um, usually disrupt the successful exploitation of the network. And what happens if you do get detected by the client, Sergio? Well, that's a very good question, Pete. So in some cases, the client also looks to test their blue team, right? So, or their SOC processes, for example. So it's a good thing for him, actually, because in that case, the defense mechanisms are doing its job. So uh, we can test two things in one project, right? Uh, well, moving on. So long story short, as the process goes towards the main objective, typically to reach a high privilege access inside the network, typically domain admin. If we are talking about Windows Network, of course, uh, we will collect all data that is relevant to the client, such as vulnerability, risks, attack vectors, and ultimately let, uh, that led the team to its objectives. Last but not least, Pete, uh, as important as to reach the objectives of the project is to deliver the results to the client in an objective and clear way. So we tend to spend a good amount of time and effort uh, in the reporting phase, as it's quite important that the client understands what and how we did it, and mainly what are the security risks that his, organi his, his organization is facing. And that's basically the whole process of a penetration test in short words. Sergio, uh, we discussed in the past about the cyber kill chain in the MITRE ATT&CK framework, and I really like MITRE ATT&CK matrix because it goes into specific detail about each attack technique that has been observed by threat actors and at what stage of the cyber attack process that technique is being conducted. So when it comes to initial access, what seems to be the most successful vector uh, to gain initial access to a computer system? Yes, Scott. In fact, the, the Mitre attack framework is really, really awesome as it gives not only a view of the attack, but also how to defend it, at least conceptually. So I will split my answer into two if you don't mind. So uh, if you want to get your foot inside an organization, the most obvious way is to exploit the human component. So like through spear fish, phishing vectors or as the Mitre, uh, Mitre framework describes it as valid accounts. So this is why it's so important to create and spread awareness among users. And also it's important to constantly monitor the internet for signs uh, of compromising every way possible. So exemplifying, uh, usually in big organizations, we can always find um, compromised credentials publicly avail available that we can use in a penetration test. We tend to, to include this vector in the low hanging fruit fart, as we say it, as it's one of the first things we do. Uh, available credentials, for instance, uh, can give us direct access to like email, VPN, internet facing applications. So basically the, the, the keys to the kingdom, right? Secondly, uh, the second most common way to gain access uh, is exploiting public available applications or services. So uh, as for our experiences, even if the uh, application has no entry points to exploit, um, for instance, a badly configured web server can lead us easily uh, to a successful exploitation of the network. 
Yeah, absolutely, Sergio. And, uh, you know, just the publicly available um, web servers I can see is just so critical for an organization to make sure they keep patching because anybody can, you know, see it on the internet at any given time and, and they're scanned constantly day in and day out. Um, so the, the next step after, after initial access is typically, you know, establishing persistence. So for our listeners who don't know what this is, persistence is when the attacker looks to establish a foothold on the computer system in the event their initial access vector is discovered by a network defender. Uh, what seems to be the most successful method or methods that you've used in the past to establish persistence on a computer system? Uh, so, Scott, the simpler way to maintain access to a network uh, or a single system uh, is to create or make use of current user accounts. Uh, this also can trigger alarm, so we need to be careful. So we, do, we tend to use vectors such as installing rogue agents or, or backdoors that will reverse connect to our attack infrastructure, uh, usually in a covered way, so you don't get detected. Um, and basically, this is this seems to be um, very simple, but it is what it is, and it's it's a successful way and method to to do it. Yeah. So uh, thank you for that. Um, and then privilege escalation is usually the next step, right? So that can be done um, before or after persistence is established, I guess. Uh, but um, in this sequence of events, let's say the adversary looks to gain elevated privilege on a compromised computer system, allowing them to have full control of that system. So, you know, in your experience, what are usually the most common methods to elevate privilege? Okay, for in our experience, the most common method is by far the retrieval of domain admin ashes through the exploitation of vectors such as damping credentials and ashes from compromised systems directly from the system's memory, usually. Okay, so I will not get go into details uh, as the ones that the Dimitri framework uh, matrix describes, um, but in general terms, is is this. So uh, a successful vector uh, is, an uh, is also an attack called pass the hash. It's uh, almost a classic one where we don't even need to crack the user hashes. We uh, just usually in Windows environment um, essentially uh, ad take advantage and exploit the, the environment functionalities, right? So namely uh, the internal authentication and authorization mechanisms. So more advanced techniques such as remote desktop session hijacking is another one. Uh, in, in Windows environments. So in other environments, uh, I mean, we tend to look for um, local vulnerabilities that we can exploit and uh, run code as other users or even as admin or root. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so then uh, another tech, uh, technique used by adversaries is to conduct, you know, discovery activities on the network once they've gained that initial foothold and uh, to really allow them to further penetrate the network. Uh, this is commonly referred to in the InfoSec community as lateral movement. So can you discuss how this typically occurs and some of the more common methods um, you've seen being used in the past which have been successful? Sure, Scott. So lateral movement is essentially gaining access to other computer systems or devices inside the network. Um, so to look for other ways to escalate inside the network or just to search for sensitive information that can potentially be used in other attack vectors, right? So this is basically lateral movement. So this can be done using any one, one of the attack vectors that I mentioned previously. Um, remember, everything counts when we are talking about penetration test. And there are a lot of context-aware attack vectors that will vary from environment to environment. But typically, uh, the most common and successful ways, uh, I mean, 
for instance, collected credentials or hashes or even exploiting vulnerabilities in services usually do the, the work. Gotcha. Thanks, Sergio, for that. And from there, we know that the adversary can conduct their intended effects, which depending on their motivations, they can do a wide array of activities, you know, common examples such as, uh, you know, establishing command and control nodes on the network or exfiltrating sensitive data, which you, you've already hinted at. Um, conducting activities possibly to pro profit financially. You know, so I've seen seen in the past on customer networks, they didn't realize that they uh, they had crypto mining software uh, installed from uh, from an attack, um, and so on and so forth. And and obviously, in some of the more advanced cases where there may be you know hack, uh, hacktivist activity or maybe even a nation state activity, you know, more damaging impacts can be done, such as website defacement, you know, destroying data, uh, and even destroying the computer system through various methods. Um, penetration is just one of our services that uh, we offer through our red teams. Uh, Pete, did you want to explore any other topics today with Sergio? Yeah, actually I did, Scott. Um, so Sergio, another service category in our red team services portfolio is vulnerability assessments and forensic analysis. Can you talk a little bit about what is involved in those services? Let's do it. So as I explained in the beginning of our conversation, uh, the vulnerability assessment services aim to identify every and all flaws that exist in systems. So usually we tend to support ourselves with technology such as a vulnerability scanner that will do the major work in these assessments, right? So we can do it in an isolated project or as a continuous services so that a client is constantly aware of the vulnerability risks in their networks. Uh, in these projects or services, we tend to put the expertise, especially in the reviewing of the results. So putting some extra knowledge uh, and giving a risk perspective to the client uh, that, let's face it, sometimes will not understand what a particular vulnerability can mean to its digital asset in terms of risk. So on the other hand, uh, forensic analysis usually happens when there is an incident or suspect behavior in a network or a system. The most common situation to happen is the client to contact us uh, when he in fact knows there was some intrusion or, for instance, data exfiltration. This is a service that uh, pen testers can also do because he knows how a an attackers or attackers move and hide inside systems. So there are simpler or complex scenarios uh, in forensic analysis, and usually the client looks for attribution and uh, what was the damage that he suffered. So we do seek to provide those in a non-biased fashion, and this is an important point. So sticking to the facts and findings. Um, these services are also very methodical, as uh, the artifacts and collaterals can also be used in a criminal case. So uh, definitely the non-biased and uh, sticking to the facts and findings is, are crucial. Sergio, another service line is application security testing and code review. And you know, I know you're very passionate about this activity, so can you talk about what this service line involves? Sure, Pete. So, uh, Indeed, especially because it represents more than 75% of the total projects we deliver from our team in Portugal. So application security is a different animal, so to speak, than penetration testing. Even if sometimes we explore the possibilities of gaining access to an infrastructure through exposed applications. So we tend to use application security even in pen tests, right? Uh, it generally involves a more strict use of a methodology, like OWASPs so that we and the client be assured that the tests were done in all entry points and flows in every way possible. So application security also has this interesting side of finding non-expected behaviors from the application that can trigger logic vulnerabilities. So not 
only the typical technical ones uh, like injections or misconfigurations. So this is also a very cool, uh, if you allow this expression, uh, part of application security when we do assessment to applications or services. So regarding source code analysis, we usually deliver it as a service. So within the security development lifecycle of the client, uh, we will operate the technology that will do the automated part and we will complement with the expertise in terms of parsing false positives and further uh, in-depth analysis. Uh, it's a good complement to the dynamic analysis that, as it goes very, very deep into the, into the application and can detect vulnerabilities that may not be exploitable through the dynamic analysis, okay? So regarding the delivery, I mean, they are very identical. Uh, they are very methodical regarding the process. We always define quite well the scope and objectives um, of the project or the service. Um, and again, we put a lot of effort in the deliverables as they are um, as important as the job itself, to be honest. And so showing the client all the tests that were done, even if not successful, is important in the process of application security being sashed or dashed. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and Sergio, when it comes to web applications, I'm a big fan of the Open Web Application Security Project or OWASP, which uh, you've, you've briefly mentioned. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about how you use this community to conduct our application security testing activities? Yeah, so OWASP Foundation is a great partner, since I can remember. So they, are, they really have helped organizations to be better prepared against application threats. So we all know very well the OWASP top 10. It's a classic that evolves throughout the years and it's, it's a go-to when we are talking about application security risks, right? So, I mean, even now and then, clients do require that we use the extended version like the, the web security testing guide. So they have a clear view on all the tests that we performed during, during uh, the audit. So we did in, indeed use and abuse OWASP. CCIT basically provides us a very, very mature framework constantly updated and um, we use their documentation also to support all the, all the, our delivery. Um, so uh, we tend to complement our reports with that. So we believe that it's a great add-on to the deliverables and the, the clients now see it as a go-to standard, to be honest. And when it comes to the OWASP top 10 uh, web application security risks, in your opinion, which two or three areas would, should a company focus on in order to provide the best return on investment for their time? Okay, Scott. So I will directly say that uh, companies need to invest in training uh, their developer teams. Okay, so I will not give you an answer like uh, companies should focus on these and that vulnerability. I prefer to focus on the foundations, okay? So in topics like how to design secure architectures and write secure code, it's very, very important that companies invest time and man money yet. So it's easier said than done, of course, but with a good foundations training, development teams quickly understand that there are basically two or three fundamental problems that if properly corrected, will turn applications much more resilient to attacks. So I will give you one example of a classic fundamental problem on secure software development, that is input validation. So input validation actually is the core reason why, why the most of OWASP top 10 risks are uh, listed. So input validation is one of the most important aspects of application security for sure, as it will assure that applications basically receive and interpret the incoming data as it expected, right? Um, secondly, I would like to address the usage of components with known vulnerabilities. 
So it's easy to understand why, right? There are tons and tons of open and freely available resources used every day in development. Um, and of course, organizations take advantage of it. Uh, they spare costs on the process and they, they usually will not have to reinvent the wheel. So the issue is that these third parties components can, can also have vulnerabilities, right? So adding to the equation, sometimes such components are not continuously developed and its support depends on the time available uh, of the usually private developer. So it's a complicated situation. Uh, resuming, I would suggest that the organizations focus on training the, their developer teams, but uh, be sure to have a proper SDLC process and uh, well, uh, to contract specialized services that uh, can assess their applications and it, that they can also give a different perspective on, on risks. That's also important. Yeah, great summary, Sergio. Really appreciate that, and thank you for for uh, for for being so clear and succinct. Uh, Pete, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Scott and um, Sergio. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners um, that you'd like to share? Uh, sure, Pete. So first of all, I, I would like to thank our listeners that spent time to hear our thoughts on this topic. Uh, I would like to finish saying that there are three or four things to turn an IT infrastructure much more resilient to attacks. Uh, like, for instance, like a good and organi organized asset inventory. Uh, so knowing and uh, organizing your home, basically, you'll be better prepared to respond to an attack. Uh, another one is to be constantly patching your systems against known security threats. Uh, so don't forget to align that with the business requirements, but be sure to patch, please. Uh, last but not least, create and spread awareness on all people as they will be for sure exploited by the attackers to gain access to the digital and physical uh, infrastructure. Also, be prepared for the worst. Assume incidents will happen. Acquire specialized, specialized services that will give you a non-biased risk assessment on your environment. Thank you very much, Scott and Peter. See you next time. Scott and Sergio, thank you so much for your time. This has been extremely informative and I look forward to our next podcast. For any of our listeners who are interested in our services to include Red Team services, please reach out to us via our marketing department, which can be reached at marketing at cipher.com. <laughs>